Hello, fans of the beautiful game. Welcome to episode 26 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host, David Balat, and I am excited to be here once again to talk about the game we love, which is football. There's a lot of action over the week. Well, a lot of action in the Premier League, not so much in other leagues because they've decided to go on a winter break. And the Premier League's having none of that because they know that's where the big bucks are made. That's where all the people are sitting down at home. All the viewers are at home ready to watch the games throughout the Christmas and New Year's period. Oh yeah, by the way, Happy New Year. I hope everybody had a fun and eventful New Year's Eve counting down into the new year. I hope that you guys are having high hopes for the for the new year this 2019. I hope if you have made your new year's resolutions that you are still keeping to it and you haven't already faltered by day 4. So happy new year guys. Wishing you all the best for the coming year. But yeah, back to football. Um I would actually like to start off talk today talking about Serie A. And they are right now on their winter break as well, but they had did they did have fixtures over the past weekend. And I will start off with Juventus against Sampdoria. They defeated Sampdoria two goals to one in a pretty controversial match, I must say. Um it was Ronaldo who opened the scoring in the first half through a um, well-placed shot that didn't seem it didn't seem too hard and, and too difficult for the keeper to handle but I guess there was like a slight bounce just before the keeper was about to get to the ball which is actually something that I have noticed with a lot of Ronaldo shots and the keeper misjudged the bounce and the ball went in and then later on Sampdoria got an equalizer through a penalty which was scored by Fabio Quagliarella 35 years old, is it 36 years old? He is now and he's still going strong. He's still their main player in Sampdoria, so more power to him. And then in the um, second half, there was a bit of controversy because another penalty was awarded, this time to Juventus. And this was from a handball. So the controversy here was that the, the VAR team actually reviewed the the handball and they suggested to the ref they advised the ref that he needed to come and take a second look because it wasn't such a clear-cut handball but the referee refused to take a second look and he awarded the penalty because he was sure without a shot of a doubt that it was a penalty i for one feel like the samdara player was hard done by i don't think it was a, a penalty but I will say some referees have definitely awarded that in the past. So that's the issue. It's always up for interpretation. When it comes to handballs, sometimes offsides as well. It's very difficult because it's there is no clear-cut definition of what a handball is. Different referees always have different interpretations. But this referee gave the penalty to Juve and Ronaldo scored to make it 2-1. And then... In the dying minutes, it seemed like Sampdoria had gotten the equalizer to snatch a draw at the Juventus Stadium, but it wasn't to be because it was ruled out as offside. So the game ended 2-1. <clears throat> Cristiano Ronaldo bagged a brace 
and Juventus going to the winter break on a high. Must be said, though, that once again, it wasn't such a dominant, convincing performance from Juve. I mean, the goal was chalked off as offside, but it wasn't like it wasn't really like a like a, a really clear offside i think i think the juventus defense just considered themselves lucky that they didn't concede this last minute goal because they didn't really play that well the team is turning more and more into cristiano ronaldo fc in my opinion i mean if you take away his goals i don't even think they would be top of the table i think they would just be in the top four battle right now so they definitely need to step up. They definitely need to have some time to really think. Um, Allegri needs some time to really think about his tactics and how he's going to deploy his players going into the second half of the season. Because we all know Juventus are better than every other team in the league. They have the points tally to justify that. But the performances and the scorelines are really not that great, in my opinion. I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't really think that they are in the strongest form going into the Champions League. But they have a lot of time to fix their issues. They have effectively won the league already at this stage. And all Allegri needs to do is just work out his best starting eleven and... Just fix up the tactics and not be so defensive and so anti-football because he has a great squad and there's no reason why he should be playing that way. Anyways, Juventus 2, Sampdoria 1. Napoli 3, Empoli 2. Got goals from Arek Milik. He got a double, which was... Um, so he scored the first goal. An Empoli player, I think it was Petagna. Petania, he equalized to make it 1-1. Milik got another goal to make it 2-1. Another Empoli player equalized, making it 2-2. Andres Mertens got a winner with a long-range shot in the 88th minute to get the winner for Napoli. So they stay second going into the winter break. In third place, we had Inter Milan, who defeated Empoli 1-0, courtesy of a goal from Keita Balde. It was a much-needed victory for them because, for some reason, Luciano Spalletti seems to be under pressure. I mean, considering where this team has been in the past few seasons, I don't really understand why he's under pressure. I mean, what did they expect going into this season? The best that they could have expected is a second-place finish, which is still roughly realistic because they're not so far behind Napoli. So that's still within their power to finish second at the end of the season. So I don't really understand why the Inter Milan coach, why um, Luciano Spalletti is under any pressure, really. Because if you look at their squad strength, it's not that great. I mean, compared to the other La Liga teams, Serie A teams it is, and that's the reason why they're in third place. But if they're complaining about them getting knocked out of the Champions League, I know they kind of bottled it because they should have beaten PSV at home. But let's be frank. Inter Milan were not the second best team in the Champions League group and I don't really think that they're underperforming by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't really see why he's under pressure, but for some reason he is. So he got this win, which should do which should go away um some way, little way, in reducing the amount of pressure that he's under. Lazio won, Torino won. Had goals from Andrea Bellotti who opened the scoring 
and then Milinkovic Savic got the equalizer and that's how the game ended 1-1 um now Lazio have dropped points so they are just one point above AC Milan in the battle for fourth place which is just going to heat up and heat up this seems like the most um intriguing battle in the Serie A table because we we all know the season is already over so it's all about who gets into the top four and it's really between Lazio, Milan and Roma now I'll talk about Milan first. Milan beat Spal two goals to one. Got goals from um, Andrea Petania, opened the scoring for Spal. And then um, Samu, um, Samu Castilejo got the equalizer for AC Milan. And Iguain got the winner for them. It was a very much needed three points at the San Siro. They made a lot more work of it than they should because Spal is a newly promoted team who are battling relegation. So it seems that the team is still in some sort of disarray. That's AC Milan. And Gennaro Gattuso, he's under a lot of pressure. He's under immense pressure because if they don't get this top four, it will be really bad financially for the club because they have sanctions looming from UEFA. They have a lot of debt to repay and they've spent a lot of money on new players which needs to be justified with some sort of um, return in terms of getting into the top four and getting back in the champions league which they so desperately want to do so they got the win here and they're now just one point below um, lazio but Gattuso is going to be under a lot of pressure and I'm really not sure if he's going to be able to see out the season because they're really just blowing hot and cold this season. And he needs to turn things around very, very quickly. Parma nil, Roma 2. We had um, goals from Brian Crisante and Chingiz Onda. Onda seems to be the standout player for Roma this season, at, at least in terms of getting goals. And now they have just, um, they have finally gotten three wins from their last four and are now in sixth place and are one point behind AC Milan and two points behind Lazio in fourth place. So the fourth place battle is really, really heating up. And their coach, Eusebio De Francesco, is also under a lot of pressure as well because we all know Roma have been a steady top four team for the past few seasons. Um, a lot of suggestions have been that they should have even gotten to the point that they should have been challenging for the league. But that hasn't been so because this season they have really, really struggled. They've been in and about the middle, the middle realms of the table for most of the season and are just really getting back in form. As I said, three wins out of their last four. And it will be good for them going into the winter break, at least on a high. Or maybe not. Maybe they would have actually wanted the season to continue because they've already built so much momentum. And there's a chance they can lose it once the season um, returns. But they'll do well to keep it up. And Di Francesco needs to get more of that out of his boys if he wants to keep his job as well. So the table at the end of 2018 for Serie A has Juventus on top with 53 points. Nine points ahead of Napoli in second with 44. We have Inter Milan in third with 39. Lazio in fourth with 32 points. And we've got AC Milan in fifth with 31. And AS Roma in sixth with 34 points. And um, yeah, so that's it 
for Serie A going into the winter break. Games will resume in a few weeks' time. Think about a week or two. So hopefully the players get the rest that they deserve. So now over to the league that has no breaks, no resting period. In fact, when other leagues are resting, this is the busiest period in the Premier League. That is why it is the most watched league in the world. And some could argue that it doesn't benefit the players because they really get fatigued. And that's why a lot of English teams haven't really performed at the highest level in the Champions League because they come against teams that are well rested. But personally, I as a fan, I love it because I get to watch the game I love during the time in which I have the most free time as well. So I'm not really complaining, but I think eventually, I think the Premier League is going to um, have to adopt a winter break. I'm not sure if they voted on it already. I know there were, there were plans to vote on it. I'm not really sure if they have, but I'm pretty sure that that's a winter break is going to be implemented in, in the Premier League. But either way, let's first of all talk about last weekend's results. Liverpool defeated Arsenal five goals to one. They absolutely demolished Arsenal. I had said in the previous podcast that I expected goals from both teams, but I expected Liverpool to get a convincing win. And that's exactly how it went. But it seemed, though, that it was not going to go according to script because Arsenal actually opened the scoring through Maitland-Niles after a very well-placed cross, a delicious cross from Alex Iwobi. And Maitland-Niles just had to stretch out his foot and get some contacts on the ball, and it went in. And Arsenal were ahead, upset, alert. But no, it wasn't to be because we all know that Arsenal defense is shambolic and they just showed exactly why they have conceded so many goals this season. Because not too long after they opened the scoring, Firmino grabbed the equaliser after the ball was just bouncing around in the opposition half. The defenders couldn't clear the ball away, kept on kicking it onto one another. And Firmino just had the chance to actually put in the the ball into the back of the net with a no-look shot. So they made it 1-1. And then not too long after, Firmino goes on a solo run, beautiful solo run, beats a couple defenders, scores again, making it 2-1 for Liverpool. Then Mane made it 3-1. Mohamed Salah made it 4-1. I believe he scored a penalty, yes. Salah scored a penalty to make it 4-1. And then Salah got another penalty. And in his in his um what do you call it benevolence he decided to award the penalty he gave it to Firmino to take the penalty and grab his hat trick which is exactly what Firmino did he got the ball and expertly placed the the penalty into the back of the net to get his first hat trick of the season and his first hat trick against Arsenal as well so Liverpool stayed on top of the table and then over to Tottenham Hotspur, who were flying high in second place on the table. They came up against Wolves, Wolves visiting them at, at Wembley. And guess what happened? Spurs fell to Wolves, three goals to one at Wembley. What a surprise that was. Harry Kane actually opened the scoring in the first half. The first half was a pretty cagey affair because Wolves defended a lot. They didn't really take any risks. 
they just allowed Spurs to pile on the pressure and Spurs tried to, but they didn't really create any clear-cut chances. The hurricane goal, though, was absolutely magnificent. It was a very well-hit shot from the right edge of the box, curled it with his left foot into the, into the goal. Real Patricia actually got a hand to the ball, but it was too strong, so he couldn't palm it away, and the ball went into the goal. So Harry Kane opened the scoring, and then in the second half, everything does just changed. Like around the 60th or like 65th minutes, everything in the match just changed, and Wolves just got the upper hand, and then they got an equalizer from Willy Bolly, and then not too long after, Raul Jimenez made it 2-1 in favor of Spurs. And then when Spurs started um, pushing up a lot of bodies into the opposition half and leaving their defense exposed because they needed to grab that equalizer, Wolves got an excellent counter-attacking opportunity and held a Costa, made it 3-1. And that scoreline did not flatter Wolves by one by any stretch of the imagination, Wolves absolutely deserved this win. In the second half, they absolutely bossed Spurs. And the like one of the most telling moments of that second half was actually in the last two minutes. In the last two minutes of the game, Wolves literally held the ball and Spurs and none of the Spurs players were able to get a foot on the ball. Like the Wolves players were just passing the ball around. Olays were coming up from the crowd. Passing the ball with so much confidence, plus passing it between the defense, passing to the midfield, passing it to the attack, passing the ball back, just killing time, passing the ball around. Spurs were just running around like headless chickens trying to chase for the ball. They couldn't get it. And it was really something to see because this is usually how a bigger team plays with a smaller team when they've gotten enough goals to get the victory and they just want to um, kill away time. It was, it was really something to watch. And all this talk about Spurs being title contenders, this is why we cannot call Spurs title contenders because they will always put your hopes up and then just when it seems that they've gotten a stretch of, of good games, they're in good form, they just go on and put on a performance like this. It was really quite disappointing, to be honest. I know Wolves are really good. They really step up against top six opposition this season. But come on, Spurs, you're better than Wolves. You're, you cannot be losing 3-1 at Wembley to Wolves. They actually even defeated Wolves away from home. So in the reverse fixture. So I don't understand how they put in such a bad showing, but they did. And, and so long farewell to Spurs being considered title contenders. Firm favourites to finish third on the table, though. I'll give them that. Southampton 1, Manchester City 3. Manchester City getting back to winning ways after losing three games in four. They got back to winning ways, defeating Southampton through goals from David Silva. Then not um, Pierre Hoybier actually got an equaliser because this game was actually not such a comfortable game for City. All the goals were scored in the first half, I believe. So Pierre Hoybier got um, the equaliser with a well-struck shot to the roof of the net that Edison had no chance of saving. And then he had another golden opportunity to score, which he missed. He claims that he was fouled. I think it was Hoybier, yeah, that claimed he was fouled. And then all of a sudden, City had a counter-attack and 
Raheem Sterling tried to put a cross in, hit James Ward, um, James Ward Prowse's leg, and it went into the goal for an own goal, giving City back their lead, making it 2-1. And then right in the dying minutes of the first half, Cross came in and Kuhn Aguero was there to put in the header to make it 3-1. So um, City went into the break 3-1 and that was the way the scoreline stayed. So they got the win and back to winning ways and it put them in a very well-placed position going into the match against Liverpool because if they had dropped any points before that Liverpool match, it would have been at least like 9 or 10 points behind and you could have just kissed the title race goodbye. So they had to get that win. Crystal Palace nil. Chelsea won. Got a goal from Ungolo Kante. Kante has scored about, I think, three goals this season. His highest return ever. And that's no coincidence because he's playing in this advanced role under Maurizio Sarri. And yeah, it was a very well taken goal. Nice um, dinked pass from David Luiz over the top. And... Kante made a nice run, chested the ball to control it, and then finished it with his right foot. Keeper put a hand to it, but it wasn't enough. The ball went in. And yeah, Chelsea got the win 1-0 against Crystal Palace. It was a very cagey affair as well. And it really, really shows why Chelsea needs a new striker and the team. But more on that in a very little bit. So, next match... Manchester United defeated Bournemouth four goals to one. United are under a resurgence under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, making it his third straight win since taking over the job as interim manager. And it was once again a Paul Pogba show. Paul Pogba bagged the brace. He opened the scoring. He got the second goal. And then... Um, the first goal was from a very well taken cross from Rashford after some individual brilliance by him. He was on the right near the corner flag on the right side of the yeah, the, the right corner flag in the in the Bournemouth half. He was able to he was backing the defender, Nathan Ake, but he was able to get a swift turn around, beat the defender, give a really, really nice skill with that we like to call snake bite in nigeria in my country i don't know what it, the official name of the skill is but he gave a snake bite i think you guys can imagine the skill i'm talking about cut past the defender and then put in a cross for pogba to get the tap in and then moments later pogba made it 2-0 from a cross from under herrera headed the ball in and then marcus rashford made it 3-0 from a cross with his outside foot from anthony marcial Rashford has been in such great form since um, Solskjaer took over. And then Nathan Ake got a header for a consolation goal for Bournemouth. And then the big man, Rom Rom, Romelu Lukaku came off the bench and made it 4-1 to United, not too long after coming off. So 4-1 win for United, very convincing win. And they're going strength to strength under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So, over to the new year fixtures. Standout match, which was played yesterday. Manchester City defeated Liverpool two goals to one. 
This was an absolute must-win match for Manchester City because there was just no way that they could have seen themselves as still being in the title race if they didn't get this win. A draw would not have been enough, in my opinion. They absolutely needed the win to cut the lead to four points, and they did. The match was a pretty cagey affair, especially in the first half. There weren't that many attempts on goal, not that many shots on target. Actually, in the first half, the um, Liverpool should have opened the scoring because Salah, Mame Salah, had a um, great piece of play by interchanging um, passes with the players around him. He got a nice one-two and then slotted the ball nicely for Sadio Mane to go one-on-one with the keeper under a bit of pressure. And he got the shot away, but the ball ended up hitting the bar. Hit ball hit the bar, bounced back into the box, and then um, John Stones was it or was it Laporte? I can't remember. One of them tried clearing the ball away, but instead he just shot the ball right into the palms of Edison, which rebounded the ball back off of Edison's gloves, and the ball was definitely going into the goal. But he had the pace and the speed. That's John Stones, I believe to clear the ball off the line. Can you believe that the ball was just literally a centimeter away from crossing the line and being a goal for Liverpool? So good for, very lucky for for John Stones. He got the clearance and the game stayed as nil-nil. And then in the ending of the first half, really, really nice piece of play from Bernardo Silva. He got into the box, gave a pass to Kun Aguero, and Aguero just rifled the shot into the, through the near post, into the roof of the net. No chance for Allison. 1-0 for City. City got the lead going into the break. And it was really a KJ affair in that first half. Could have easily ended 0-0 or a 1-1. But both, neither team really, really dominated the other. The second half came on and Liverpool started to play better. Fabinho came in as a sub. I really don't understand why um, Klopp has not really been starting Fabinho. I mean, every time Fabinho plays, since that United match, every time he has played, he has made a difference in this team. He's just such a a good link-up player in that midfield. He knows how to spread the ball around. He's good defensively, good attacking-wise as well. So I don't really know why Klopp decided to go with the James Milner and Jordan Henderson and Wijnaldum trio in the midfield. I, for one, think Fabinho could have come in for either Milner or, or um, Henderson. But he didn't. He came off the bench and he definitely made a difference. And you could, uh, you could see that Liverpool were definitely stringing some very good attacking plays. And they eventually got the equaliser through a cross-field ball. I think it was from Fabinho, I can't really remember. And then header across the, the, the goal from, or across, sorry, across the goal from Andrew Robertson, which was nicely placed for Roberto Firmino to get a diving header and to make it 1-1. And from there, we, would, we thought that Manchester City were in trouble once again and Liverpool were going to go on from there and get the win. But it wasn't so, because not too long after, Manchester City got a counter-attack and ball was passed to Leroy Sané, 
on his left foot and he finished it expertly hitting the the bar striking the ball across the across the ground hitting the bar and going in off of the post and city regained their advantage 2-1 and that's the way the game ended in the dying minutes though liverpool piled on a lot of pressure on city but they did well to they did very well to um to ward off any pressure liverpool didn't really create any clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities after manchester city got the equalizer well they did they did create a few that could have gone in on another day but city's defense were very dogged and i have never ever seen a pub guardiola team park the bus like this city team did after they got that goal i don't really think they stringed any other attacks man they were desperate for that win and they got the win and they are now four points behind liverpool and the title race is back on must be said though that liverpool are still favorites in my eyes to win the league because they have just gotten their first defeat Sad for them, though, that they're not going to be invincibles. There's still only one invincibles in England, and that's Arsene Wenger's Arsenal team. And whenever I see teams as good as Liverpool this season and Manchester City as good as they were last season, being unable to finish the season undefeated, I just tip my hat off more and more to that Arsenal Invincibles team because that is literally an impossible job to do. So Liverpool the latest team to try and go undefeated and fail but they're still favorites to win the league and it's going to be very very interesting to see how the table goes from now on but city should be able to be very ha- they should be very happy with this win and they are definitely going to be looking to get back into form and putting more and more pressure at the top of the table on liverpool it's going to be interesting to see how liverpool bounces back from this loss though because we all know that it's easy to play well when things are going good, but the real hallmark of the championship winning team is how they react to losing a match, especially losing their first match of the season when they felt so invincible. So I'm really, really interested in seeing how Liverpool bounces back. Next match, Cardiff City nil, Spurs three. Spurs recovered from the upset against Wolves and convincingly beat Cardiff three goals to nil. They got goals from Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, and Son Heung-min. Son Heung-min is going to be going for the Asia Cup after the 13th of January, after their fixture against United, Son is going to be leaving. And I think this is going to be a huge loss for Spurs because Son has been so good for them. He got a goal and assist in this match and um, yeah, the guy is just great, man. He's really, really good, and Spurs are going to miss him a lot. I don't really know who's going to take his place between Lamela and Lucas Mora, but they are definitely going to have opportunities to stake their claims as being starters, at least for the month-long period that Son is going to be out for the Asian Cup. And Son, man, that guy has played so much football. I, I really feel bad for him, man. I don't know. I feel like he's going to literally die by the end of this season out of exhaustion and fatigue because I don't know how you can play a player so much. This guy has not had a preseason since the beginning of the 2017-18 season and he's still going strong and playing at the top of his... uh, uh, playing the best football of his life, literally. 
kudos to him. I don't know how he does it. Newcastle nil, Manchester United 2. United got another win. That is four out of four wins for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as United boss. His first clean sheet as well, coming against Newcastle, which is actually a ground, St. James's Park, is a ground that United have not really done so well in in the past, even when Alex Ferguson was in charge. I remember during the press conference, the pre-match press conference, even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually said that. He was like, he has not had a lot of joy visiting St. James's Park. This has been a bogey stadium for United in the past, so it was very good for them to get the win. It was a very well-deserved win because Newcastle just came in with one job, and that was to park the bus from beginning to end. And United did well. They piled on a lot of pressure, and they didn't really create too many clear-cut opportunities, but they were definitely on top of Newcastle. And it was in the second half after subs were made Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez came on and they literally changed the match because they just piled in that much more pressure on the Newcastle defense and eventually Lukaku opened the scoring off the bench again after Marcus Rashford um, hit a free kick which um, Dubravka was not able to handle properly so he spilled the ball and Lukaku got the rebound and made it 1-0 very very great to see Lukaku getting back on the score sheets like because the amount of abuse this guy has faced this season is really unbecoming I'm really not a fan of how much abuse he has faced I mean I understand he has his issues he has a poor first touch and his link-up play is not the best but we all know Lukaku is way 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 better than what we've seen this season this guy he is the highest goal scorer in Belgium history highest goal scorer in Everton history and he's just 25 and you really you think this guy is all, all of a sudden shit because he is playing poorly under a manager who is very very anti-football and not playing to his strengths i really don't see that i disagree completely lukaku is still a quality striker maybe not a world-class striker but he is a striker that will get you 20 goals a season every season if he is given the right support and i just hope Solskjaer knows what's for him because as I said previously Solskjaer was a very similar striker to Lukaku basically feeding off of goals from the the box being a an assassin in the box and if he can get the best out of Lukaku that would be a huge game changer for United so Lukaku got the open the scoring to make it 1-0 and special mention to Alexis Sanchez because he got the assist to make it 2-0 after a well-worked counter-attack a lot, um, very nice interplay between Rashford and Lukaku around the halfway line they went on Lukaku got the ball he's bursted with a sprint forward gave a pass to Alexis Sanchez and Alexis Sanchez just had all the time in the world to pick out the pass between two defenders to give the ball to Rashford Rashford got the ball and placed it into the back of the net three points for United and shout out to Olegona Solskjaer. He, he showed that he's also a tactically astute manager because it was really the super subs who changed the match. Before the subs came on, United were dominating, but they were not really creating any clear-cut chances. So it was great for him to, um, to do that, 
to get those subs in. And I really hope Sanchez and Lukaku are going to play very, very well. Really, really step up and show why they are quality players and why they are on the immense wages that they are under. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, though, he is the first Manchester United manager since the great Samat Busby to win his first four competitive games in charge. Hope that continues. But yeah, he's brought back smiles to the Manchester United fans. We're not really expecting him to win every match and dominate. All we want is good football, attacking football, and he's giving us that, and we can't complain. So kudos to you, Ole. Chelsea nil, Southampton nil. Another huge upset for Chelsea. Drawing at home against Stanford, at home at Stamford Bridge against a relegation contender in Southampton. Very disappointing for them. Nil nil. They couldn't even get one goal. Eden Hazard had one or two opportunities in which he missed. And this team is Hazard FC basically. If Hazard is not able to score, nobody else can score. And yeah, it's really, really disappointing to be a Chelsea fan. Because in all honesty, they started the season strong, but lately they have been in really, really bad form. Um, aside from that victory over Manchester City, I can't really think of any other performance in which they have really impressed me or impressed any other um, football fans. I don't really think they're that great. And it's really not that different from under Antonio Conte, in my opinion. Sari has not really shown that he deserved the to take over the job from Antonio Conte because the team's performances have not been that great. They desperately, desperately need a new striker. It's so obvious. Giroud was injured. Morata got the start. And he just keeps on showing more and more reasons why he is not the man to lead a top four Premier League team or a top class team in Europe. He's just not that good. The sooner he leaves Chelsea, the better for him because there really is no hope for him in this club. So, yeah, they drew nil-nil. And if there's any positive note that they want to go by, then it definitely has to do with the transfer market. And I will get to that very, very soon after I'm done talking about the games. But very disappointing for Chelsea. When Eden Hazard doesn't score or assist, nobody knows what to do in this Chelsea squad. But at least that really makes the top four race that much more exciting because with United's upturn in form and with Arsenal getting a victory over Fulham, the top four race is really, really heating up because Arsenal defeated Fulham four goals to one. So they are now three points below Chelsea and United are six points below Chelsea. Arsenal got the 4-1 win over Fulham with goals from Granit Xhaka, Alex, Alex Lacazette. Um, Kamara made it 2-1 for Fulham. And then Aram Ramsey made it 3-1 and Aubameyang made it 4-1. So nice win for, for Arsenal, recovering well from the mauling that they received at the hands of Liverpool. But it must be said that Ryan Sessegnon has a lot to do with this Arsenal victory because he missed so many opportunities to make it 1-0. There was a one-on-one -on -one opportunity which he, which he hit off target. Another um, open goal, 
which he just needed to get his foot on the ball and the ball would have gone into the back of the net. But he completely missed the ball, kicking the air. And yeah, he really didn't do his team any favours because Fulham need all the points that they can get because they are they are in the... Um, what do I say? They are definitely in this relegation battle and they have the players to survive, but they don't have the form. They've been losing a lot. Must be said, though, that I feel bad for Ranieri because he's had very tough fixtures. Since taking over, he has faced Arsenal, Manchester United and Chelsea in his in three out of, I think, what is it, like six matches now. So hopefully they have a turn in, in um, fixtures. They have more favorable fixtures coming up and they can turn things around. But Arsenal got the win this time around. And once again, there was no message Ozil in the team. A lot of reports are suggesting that Unai Emery is not a fan of Ozil and he actually wants to loan him out in January. Ozil has vehemently denied that he's going to leave. He says he plans on staying and fighting for his um, position in the team. But it's very obvious that um, Emery doesn't like him because... Yes, the report for this match was that he was that he had an injury, he had a knee injury, and that's why he wasn't able to play. But in the past, there have been matches where Emery has not um, included Ozil in the starting lineup or even on the bench. And when asked about it, he's like, "Yes, he didn't include him for tactical re- for tactical reasons." If you can say that about your highest earner your so-called most important player in the team who is on wages of £300,000 a week, if you have the, um, the nuts or the um, intentions not to play him in matches, then it's obvious that you don't want him in the club because Ozil should be playing every single match for Arsenal. And if he's not doing that, even when he's fit, then there's only one solution. He needs to leave. He definitely has to leave. So... Um, yeah, it seems like Ozil's future in Arsenal is not in a good place right now. In my opinion, he should definitely leave. He needs to, he needs to go away. He needs to get a new club and, um, he needs to get a new club and, um, and yeah, I don't know what club would be able to take up those wages though because he's on some immense wages at Arsenal I can really only think of one which is PSG and in my opinion I think PSG should actually go for him because um, they really don't have a good midfield at all either so aside from PSG I don't really know any other team that could afford to take up those Ozil wages but Ozil needs to leave Arsenal in my opinion it's time there is over so, over to um, to the fixtures for the upcoming weekend. Actually, let's talk about La Liga. La Liga has resumed because Real Madrid played their game in hand as well yesterday. They played against Villarreal and they failed to pick up a win. They drew the match 2-2 away from home. Um, was goals from Santi Carzola. Santi Carzola opened the scoring. And then three minutes later, Karim Benzema got an equalizer and Rafael Varane moments later made it 2-1 for Real Madrid. But then in 
the 80th minute or was it the 82nd minute Santi Cazola bagged a brace to make it 2-2 and to get the draw Villarreal are by no stretch of the imagination a good team this season they are relegation contenders so Real Madrid should be very disappointed that they failed to get a win um, I was of the opinion that they would have a turnaround in form in the new year but it's a new year same old madrid i don't think anybody has the ability to wake these guys up they have so many issues and santiago solari is really not enough for me to be able to solve this these issues if they had gotten this win they would have gone level with sevilla but they didn't so they stay in fourth position because this was a game in hand so they stay in fourth position and yeah, it's really not looking good for Real Madrid at all. Um, I must say, though, I'm happy to see Santiago Cazola, Santi Cazola, getting back into form. He has literally not played any football over the past three seasons. So it's really great for him to get a new chance of life in Villarreal, in his former club, which he's a legend at. So it's good for him to return and put in performances like that. So more power to him. So, over the weekend, weekend fixtures. We've got La Liga fixtures over the weekend. The winter break is over for La Liga and they're going to be back. And there is a standout fixture in La Liga because it's Sevilla going up against Atletico Madrid. This is a battle between third and second place. So, there's going to be a lot of attention going into this match. I think Sevilla will see themselves as favourites. But it must be said that they have dropped a lot of points lately and they'll be hoping that they've refreshed themselves with a nice winter break and will be looking back to getting back in form and getting back into the title race. Atletico Madrid, on the other hand, are also in the title race and they'll be looking to make things as difficult as they can, as they always do against any opposition. They'll be looking to make things difficult against Sevilla and I really can't call this one, but it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Getafe are going up against Barcelona. Barcelona have a nice fixture away from home against Getafe to resume 2019. And then Real Madrid versus Real Sociedad. So let's see if Real Madrid can bounce back from that very disappointing draw. And then the FA Cup. FA Cup returns. We've got the first round of fixtures. Well, not the first round, but the first round for the Premier League teams of the FA Cup in 2019. And the standout fixture there is going to be Wolves against Liverpool. It's going to be very interesting to see the lineups that both teams put out. Wolves, I don't know if they're going to put out a strong lineup because I think that in terms of their form, they should really fancy themselves to be able to go far in this competition. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how, who they play. And Liverpool, it's going to be interesting to see who they play as well, especially after this loss against City. I don't know if they're going to be going trying to win the FA Cup. It's definitely um, down in their pecking order in terms of priorities for the season. But Jurgen Klopp has not won any silverware since taking over. As great as they have looked on the pitch, he hasn't won a match. So he hasn't won any trophy. So that's definitely going to be biting at him. And he has to be looking to winning some silverware this season. So... I don't know how much of a priority he's going to place on the FA Cup, but I'm sure he will place some. So I expect to see Liverpool put a good, strong starting eleven. 
Tranmere Rovers versus Tottenham Hotspur should be a straightforward win for Spurs. We've got Manchester United versus Reading. Another opportunity for um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to play the players who haven't really seen so much of an opportunity since he took over. I'm expected to see the likes of Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez starting the match. Expect to see Fred play in midfield, the likes of Andreas Pereira, maybe even Marwan Fellaini as well, and Diogo Dalo. Expecting to see a lot of these guys get uh, an opportunity to show why they should also get into the Manchester United starting eleven. I think all the players should be really motivated to put a shift in. And again, the match is being played at Old Trafford, so it's not going to be easy for Reading. And yeah, I'm really expecting a very exciting match for United once again, expecting a dominant victory and expecting a lot of the players to want to impress the boss and get into the starting eleven for the Premier League matches. Chelsea versus Nottingham Forest should be a straightforward win for Chelsea. Blackpool versus Arsenal should be a straightforward win for Arsenal. And then Manchester City versus Rotherham United should be another straightforward win for Manchester City. And in the, in the midweek, we've got the EFL Cup semi-finals, the Carabao Cup. We've got the first leg of the semi-finals. So in the first leg, it's going to be Tottenham Hotspur hosting Chelsea at Wembley and Manchester City against Burton Albion at the Etihad Stadium. The Spurs versus Chelsea match is going to be very interesting. I'm really looking forward to that one. I expect both teams to field very, very strong starting 11s. Spurs defeated Arsenal in the previous round and they put out a strong starting 11. So I'm pretty sure Mauricio Pochettino is going to be doing the same. And just as I said, Liverpool haven't won any silverware. Spurs are going to be looking to win some silverware. I think they should be highly motivated for this match. Um, Mauricio Pochettino has not won a single trophy as Spurs boss. And I think that's going to be eating at his soul. I think he definitely wants to win a mat- win some silverware for Spurs. And we all know it's highly probable that this is his last season as Spurs manager. So he's going to do all it takes to get a trophy. So I expect Spurs to get the victory against against Chelsea in this, um, in at least the first leg. We'll see how the second leg plays out. But Spurs, if they want to progress from the um, progress to the final, they need to at least win their home match. City versus Burton Albion. I feel bad for Burton Albion because City are defending champions. And I'm sure they're going to be looking to win all the silverware that they can put their hands on. So that's about it for the fixtures for the weekend. And also, I'd like to talk about the January transfer window. Because, in case you didn't know, there's always a transfer window in January. And this seems to be a very interesting, intriguing one to monitor. There have been a few rumors about deals and one high-profile completed deal already, which has seen Chelsea sign Christian Pulisic for $64 million. They have signed him, and he is going to join the team next season. Huge statement from Chelsea. Very, very big signing. Um, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, because Christian Pulisic, he is a very exciting talent. He has the potential to be the best American player 
that the country has ever produced in its history. He has world-class potential and he has always wanted to play in the Premier League, but he's really young. He's just 20 years old. And this season, he hasn't really played that much. He hasn't been a regular starter because he's been benched by the likes of Jadon Sancho and Bryn Larson. So if the likes of Jadon Sancho and Bryn Larson, who are even younger than he is, are benching him, then how much more would it be if he goes to a, um, a world-class club like Chelsea who are looking to win um, serious major silverware? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out for him because we know Chelsea is a club that has no patience for young players. If you're not playing well, they will ship you out on loan and sign a ready-made player who's ready to perform. We all know Abramovich. He has a history of not having the most patience for young talent. But that being said, I would definitely pick um, Pulisic over Pedro and Willian, especially Willian this season. So... In terms of that, I definitely think he's he's going to be higher in the pecking order, but he has to hit the ball running as soon as he gets into this club. There's no time to dilly-dally, no time, no betting in period for him. He has to really show that he's a real deal from day one. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it because it's a huge task for such a young player, but I know he has the talent. He definitely has the talent. Even though he has been benched by Sancho and Brun Larson, I still think he's a better player than the two of them. So maybe Chelsea has struck a really good deal. It's really nice for them to get this deal done now because a lot of clubs have been eyeing him. Liverpool, we all know Liverpool have been, um, have been long-term admirers. Likewise, Manchester United as well. So it's good for Chelsea to get this deal done. And there's been a lot of transfer activity involving Chelsea as well. A lot of rumors because Callum Hudson-Odoi, which is a very promising young talent for Chelsea. He's been part of the team this season, but hasn't played any matches. And Bayern Munich have put in a bid in the region of like $30 million, I think something like that, to, to buy him from Chelsea. Chelsea have refused to sell. But now that they've sold, that they've bought Christian Pulisic, it seems likely that they will be willing to sell him after all. Maybe they'll sell him, put a buyback clause. And yeah, Callum Hudson-Odoi, he's a very exciting talent. And it's sad that he hasn't really been given an opportunity at senior level for Chelsea. So maybe it'll be good for him to leave the club. But I don't know if Bayern Munich are the best destination for him because if he can't get into the Chelsea lineup, how can he get into the Bayern Munich lineup? I don't know how they'll do it, but yeah, they're going for him and it seems like that they'll sell they'll, that they'll sign him, sorry. And then um Sask Fabregas, it seems like Sask Fabregas is going to be on his way to Monaco. It seems like the FA Cup um matches of the weekend are going to be his farewell match. Um he has he just marked his five hundredth appearance at um in the Premier League after the match against Southampton. And yeah, Fabregas seems to be on his way to Monaco to go and help them fight off relegation. They definitely need some more experienced players in that team because that squad is so young, so inexperienced, and even the manager is inexperienced as well. And at least they have a bit of a history together because Henri and 
and Fabregas obviously played for Arsenal together. So they'll have that connection. So it'll be it's a really interesting um signing for Monaco. Very much needed. And I think um, Fabregas needed to leave Chelsea because there's really no hope of him fight, finding his way back into the starting eleven because he is definitely not the Fabregas that we all used to know and love back in the day. So good signing for Monaco and it's definitely going to be a nice farewell for him over the FA Cup. And then Juventus have confirmed interest in signing Aram Ramsey, who Arsenal have said that they have no interest in keeping after the end of this season. They're going to let him go. And he's put in a lot of good performances for Arsenal. So Juventus are looking to sign him. I don't know if it's a really good signing for Ramsey. If, I don't know if it's a good decision for him to leave Arsenal and go to Juventus because he's definitely not going to get into the starting eleven, And he's an injury-prone player. So I don't know how it's going to work out. And um, if reports are accurate it seems like he has actually already um, made an agreement to join Juventus next season so interesting to see how that pans out but that's about it for um for the transfer rumors as more and more rumors come up I will definitely keep you guys posted so that's about it for today that's all I've got um looking forward to the weekend's fixtures a lot of um leagues are going to be resuming there are matches in the coming weeks and i hope you guys enjoy enjoy the fa cup enjoy the return of la liga and i will talk to you guys again next week as usual you can find me on social media on twitter at dk ballot and on instagram at d ballot thanks guys for listening and see you guys next week bye bye